Leancast, product innovation and UX design with Bonanza Design. What's up, everybody? This is episode 10 of Leancast, a product innovation podcast. Today, I am humbled, honored, excited to have Lisa Schneider. Lisa, a product executive, someone who has been around for long, someone who's doing product for long. She's been around since early 2000. And I have personally experienced working with her on a project right now. And it's truly a pleasure working with her because she takes her time. She's kind. She uses storytelling. She leverages storytelling and she's very spot on. Lisa, thanks for accepting my request. Thanks for squeezing in this call within your busy schedule. How are you feeling? How are you doing? Talk to me. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be here. And it is likewise been a real pleasure to work with you on this project as well. Lisa, I, you know, based, like, it's not comparing, but I do have to do some comparing and you have tons of experience. You, you've, you've been around to see the first bubble, internet bubble. Um, so we have the audience that we have. There are UX designers, junior. Um, we have product manager, product consultants in our network. And I see myself as someone also that would like to tap into your experiences. So let's go back and talk to me about where you started. How did you end up in product? Um, let's, let's start from there and then we can take it from there. So I, I started in product accidentally, <laughs> which I think is something that is true for a lot of people who've been in product for a long time because I started in product before it was called that. Um, I was working in marketing. I was an English major in, in college. And I was an English major because I was sort of a bookworm kid. And when I found out I could get a degree for reading books and writing what I thought about them, I thought that was like a really good scam I should get in on. But, I, you know, it's not like I wanted to be an English teacher. I didn't have a plan. So I, I graduated with my English degree. And like many English majors, I went into marketing. And I was working in marketing at a company called Bridal Guide, which was a, a magazine publication at the time. And we had outsourced building a website and then we had a website and some sort of realized that like somebody's going to have to manage this website. And I became very curious and I was like, oh, hmm, I think I want to do that. And I was just very interested by what seemed to me all these great possibilities of sort of what you could do, how you could iterate on different ideas, how you could build things, how you could connect with people. And that curiosity is really what, what drove me to take it on. I was lucky to be working at a small company where I had the ability to just raise my hand and say, I want to do this. And so we did all sorts of things there that, you know, now sound very like every day and people are used to it. But at the time, you know, they were brand new. And so, you know, we had a contest called Bride of the Year and it was an editorial contest and you know, couples would write in and they would answer a ton of questions and send pictures. And then we would pick a couple who got, you know, everything for their wedding, their registry, their honeymoon, the dresses, the tuxedos, the whole thing. And we would give all of this to them and we would photograph all of it. They would appear in the magazine. So you can imagine that all of a sudden online, we said, oh, we can make this interactive, right? We can narrow it down to three and then we can have user voting. And again, right there's a ton of things you can vote on online now, but at the time that sort of idea was brand new. People were very, very excited by it. And it was a new way to engage our audience in something that we were already doing. So people ask me all of the time, you know, especially now, you know, what technology do you want to work on? And I feel like it's the wrong <laughs> question, right? The question is, what problems are you solving? How are you connecting with mm -hmm. people? You know, if there's something I learned as an English major, reading books over hundreds of years is that human psychology mm -hmm. hasn't changed, right? People are the same. 
and and we're trying to solve problems and we're we're trying to feel something and the technology is there to make that happen right to make it happen to make it happen more easily or in a more interesting way or in a more secure way right like what's interesting about blockchain is the mm-hmm. security right it's not that, it's not that I want to work on blockchain but but you know am i working on something that needs a certain level of security and is this a tool that will get me there so those those concepts even though all of the things that we're working on have changed and even though the industry and the technology has progressed so much it's really important you know i think to remember all of those core things that that you're connecting with people and that you need to approach things with that sense of curiosity there is a lot in just you in what you just said curiosity um and i can i can resonate with you with you on this and also i can see how you are using these um elements in in the way that you run the project with us lisa is working uh with bonanza design as a client so we are working together on a, a weekly basis and i have the pleasure of like uh, curating and designing experience with lisa lisa um there was One of the things that really I admire about your work is what well, there are a lot of things is storytelling. And now you said that you've done a major in literature. Now sort of like, oh wow, that's maybe perhaps is perhaps the reason that Lisa is so 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 um it's just a pleasure listening to you and you always bring it home. You can you can go on, you know, um five minutes 10 minutes marathon but but you always bring it how bring it you bring it back and make sense um talk, can you please talk to me about the importance of storytelling especially in your line of work because you basically have to as you said translate human needs into a digital solution right as essentially what you are doing talk to me about the importance of storytelling why do product manager ux designer digital product designers uh why should they leverage storytelling in their work well, at this at the simplest level right this is this is what humans mm-hmm. are wired for right there there have always been stories stories you know drawn on a cave wall uh stories told you know orally and passed down we're very much wired to respond to stories and so stories do a couple of things first of all they bring something to life in and make people able to engage and relate in a way that a set of facts might not do you want your storytelling to support research that you've done right data that you've looked at that this is not about let me just spin a wild tale i'm very much um engaged in in data driven decision making but i think it's very important to make that make sense to people make them feel attached and so stories allow people to understand very quickly the why behind what you're doing and and that's always the most important thing you know i worked at merriam webster for a long time and when i got interviewed and i was working at the dictionary people would say to me what's your favorite word and what they really wanted was for me to come up with something very obscure so i could you know show off my my very you know erudite and an extensive vocabulary and they would always sort of have a moment of shock when i would say my favorite word is why uh, but i but i wasn't lying and i wasn't doing it for shock value it's it's because why solves mm-hmm. problems right why do you think that you know why is this this way why is that important to you why is that important to somebody else right why do you care about this why are you upset why are you holding this line in the sand the why enables you to get rid of the lines in the sand and solve problems storytelling really supports the understanding of why and that's why it's so important and also because people remember it right you know if we sit in a meeting and i say i want this 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 and this it's a list of things if i say i want to accomplish this so that people have this outcome and this experience you remember mm-hmm. that and you get the buying of your team faster too because sort of like you help them get invested in the mission it's, it's so such a nice comparison you 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 made that hey i want list of this and this and this and this versus 
let me tell you a backstory why this is important, why and how this is going to help our customers have an easier life, for example. Yeah, and it works both ways. So it's interesting. We talked about storytelling and then and then we said why. And I think you said something that put me in mind of this idea uh-huh. of mission. And and the mission is always a story, right? Sort of why are we doing this is always a story. And and I can tell you that, for example, when I worked at Merriam-Webster, we did a lot of new things and, and we won a lot of awards. And one of the things, for example, that we won several awards for Webby Awards and Shorty Awards was our social media presence. And it's really great to sort of like, you know, get on a conference or a, you know, podcast and say, hey, I had this great idea. We did this thing and we won eight Webby Awards. And that always leaves out the part in the middle where I had an idea and people said, yeah, I don't really know. I don't know about that. I'm not sure that makes sense. Why would we want to do that? And working at Merriam-Webster was a real privilege. It's a very iconic and established brand in the States. And I was very privileged to sort of stand on the shoulders of giants that had built this up. But also it was very, you know, we write dictionary definitions and we have really rigorous criteria for writing those definitions. And that's not really a mission, right? That's a what. That's a what we do and how we do it. And what I saw was some of the, you know, why would we go on social media? Why would we have a podcast? Why would we write content about language? We write definitions was because the focus was we write definitions. And so I wrote, I literally just wrote a mission statement and I wrote a two-part mission statement. And the first part was to propagate our irrational love of the English language. And irrational because English is a hot mess, right? It doesn't make a lot of sense and it's not very consistent. But people who work at Merriam-Webster were word nerds like me and had an irrational love for the English language. And the second part was to help people understand and use language better they can better understand and communicate with Mm -hmm. the world around them, right? That's a Mm -hmm. story, right? That's a story. That's a mission statement. That's a story. And it's a why. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, we could go on Twitter and help people understand language better and also just geek out about language and share our irrational love of English. Now it makes sense. So those whys can really help strategically. That storytelling can help strategically because it can help you say yes to good ideas uh, that are good. And they also provide the creative constraints Mm -hmm. to say, no, no, this doesn't meet our mission, right? You and I are working on a project now and it's, it's a stealth startup. And so we have to be really careful and lean about MVP. We can't do everything at once. So that idea of what is our core mission, if someone has a good idea, maybe it's a good idea, but it's not meeting that core mission. We're bridging the gap between this thing and that thing. If it's not literally doing that, if it's ancillary, it goes in the backlog, right? So that mission, that why, that ability to tell the story clearly so that people understand allows you to make good decisions about yes, we're going to do this, or no, we're not going to do this. And that's really important because you cannot do everything at once. You certainly can't do everything at once well. That's so important. And what I love about your two-part mission statement that you just mentioned is that one part is about uh, is about aligning our, our team internally because you've got to give them some intri- intrinsic motivation to do this thing, to commit their their life to this project for, I don't know, one year, two years, three years, four years, five years. And the other part um, of the mission statement is for our audience, for those who interact with our products and services. It's, It's so lovely. And again, back to our project, I can see that how you often refer back to the mission, right? Um, and okay. and try to basically elaborate on that mission. And always I've now this was this was my learning from the project that we worked on together, is that it's really important. It's really important to be patient and reflective reflective on the mission statement of the project, of the company, because that's that's basically help us with prioritization, decision making, and alignment of teams. Yes, I'm nodding so vigorously. People listening to a podcast can't see, but I'm I'm really nodding because I, I, I 
I am sort of surprised sometimes to find that this type of work, um, it, it sort of feels like it's treated as, as soft skills. And, and I'm on record as saying, you know, we're going to have to stop calling them soft skills because it really underplays the importance. And the same thing with this type of work, right? There's this whole sort of like mission, vision, strategy, that that work is foundational and important and it becomes a touchstone that allows you to to stay on course and and to have a good course and a good direction and you know so many founders and leaders are sort of solution oriented mm -hmm. and and that's not necessarily a bad thing but what happens when you go from you know I kind of know why we're doing this right to here's a bunch of solutions how do we get them on the roadmap? You're missing all of that why, right? You're missing all of that, you know, who exactly is this for? What exact problem are we solving for them? And so those conversations around, should we do this? Should we do that? Become less collaborative and more argumentative. And, and they can become very much like the voice of the hippo. Do you know this phrase? Highest paid person's <laughs> opinion. Highest paid person's opinion is the hippo. And, and I always use it not so literally. So it could be the highest paid. It could be the squeakiest wheel. It could be, you know, the loudest person, the person who interrupts the most, you know, the extrovert, whatever it is. But something that is sort of not that foundational work pushes those conversations around solutions and prioritization and you end up working backwards, right? You're committed to a solution without having done that foundational work. When you do the foundational work, it, it really does become that touchstone, right? So even in an early stage, we're constantly mm -hmm. touching back and saying, okay, our goal is to solve this yeah. problem. Is what we're doing solving this problem or how do we best solve this problem? And then it becomes very clear. Yeah. Um... Again, it's fantastic that we are doing this project. We can always like, you know, reflect back on it. It's sort of like a, this podcast is turning into a reflection on our shared project. And it's, it's like, you said something beautiful. I would like to uh, repeat it. That mission statement, doing, understanding the why behind the company, understanding the mission behind the company is not soft work. It's actually foundational work. You got to lay that foundation upon which you can build a building doesn't really work and you know often i realize you know for our audience that are curious that what kind of project it is it's a very heavy and complex data intensive application so i that's what i can say to, to the point that we have to figure out a lot of new topics in the bonanza design we design different application but this topic is so niche and so new for us that we have to learn a lot um, so there's a lot of confusing moments as we're trying to scope out and to understand uh, the minimum lovable experience that you would like to, you know, um, uh, offer to our audience. Often, I think when it gets confusing, I see that Lisa always like try to bring us back to that core of what we want to do. No, here's our audience. This is what they do. This is their problems. And through different stories and one thing i admire about your your work is like you do not you're you're not you always have something new to tell it's it's really interesting to to see what comes out and and i think what you're talking about reflects also the concept of agility right so in in our business we talk about agile and and sprints and we have this agile with a capital a and one of my frustrations honestly is that people get very attached to Agile with a capital A, this is how you do Agile, Here, here's the way that we have to do it. The, the motivating spirit, I mean, you know, I do remember in, in the sort of aughts, as we call it, right, in the early 2000s, going to Agile conferences where really was a bunch of like tech geeks sitting around trying to figure out like, how do we work better? You know, just how do we work better? That's the intent. And so that agility of, oh, we got here. Okay, let's think this through. And, and now something different might come up because we got to a place, you know, sometimes those step forwards and backs are necessary, especially, you know, as, as Barrett said, we're working together, we're, we're doing UX design for something that doesn't exist. And so we may have some false starts, right? That's part of the process. 
And then you look at that and you say, oh, okay, here's why it might not work, right? But that storytelling of here's why it might not work, you know, here's what the user might experience. Here's what we're trying to help them with. You know, in this case, we're asking a user to do a lot of things. Um, so I'll be, we're being a little bit cryptic. We, we, are, we are still in stealth mode, but our company is called Singo. And we are looking to bridge the gap between people's estate plan and their execution. So a thing that people often don't realize is they set up an estate plan and they think that they're all ready to go. But when their family and their executor has to actually make that happen, there are a ton of either missing pieces or things that they can't find or steps that they don't know to take. And so we're trying to fill that gap. It's a really difficult experience at a really difficult time. And people don't expect it. I did not know really everything about this before I was brought into this project. And so, you know, you're, you're sort of slammed with these surprises, time, you know, stress, financial, at, at this very stressful time when you've lost somebody that you love. So, you know, we've got this very tricky thing to do where we're trying to get people to collect a lot of information and clarify a lot of steps. It's a lot of work. Uh, and we need to make that very, very clear to people. And so, you know, when we talk about this effort, it really does come back to why people are doing this to protect their family. Why are they doing it? How do we make this simple? And how do we minimize the distraction of, oh, we could do this and we could do that because it's already a lot. We need to make sure that we're really on track. And so every time we get to another step of the project, we really touch back to what is it that we're trying to solve and what is the motivation for somebody doing this? And how do we how do we meet those things to make this work for exactly. that user? Um, I want to uh, put some pieces together because um... You're touching upon a, a, a really big problem with today product development teams or product teams in general. You mentioned something about not having your foundation right, not, not knowing your why, not knowing your mission, not knowing who your audience is. And then often founders just locked in on Solution, solution, solution. Um, and you mentioned something about agile, agility, uh, and then early on, actually, it was all about how we can work better. But, you know, I work with, I have worked with several, several startups in the past two or three years, thanks to Bonanza Design, and I see one common big problem. They're trapped. They're just building things because they have to build things. And they're using these agile processes to sort of like, I don't want to make wrong thing, make wrong things faster. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so talk to me a bit about agile, the world of agile. How do you see it? Um, and talk to me a bit about build trap and how companies and how product teams focus on the wrong things and how costly it could become for them really quickly. Yeah. So, so you use build trap, which, which I think is a, is a phrase that I use. Um, there's a, another product executive called Melissa Perry, and she wrote a book escaping mm -hmm. the build trap that is exactly about this, this idea of, you know, we have to release and I've seen it too over and over, right? You know, we have to have two week sprints consecutively, back to back and every sprint, we have to release something. And there's this question of a roadmap. I mean, roadmaps are another thing that I could get on a soapbox about, right? A roadmap sort of full of features that will be regularly released for some period out is, I can tell you, there's only one thing I know for sure about that roadmap, and, and that is it's going to be wrong. And even if I write it, I, I don't care. If you tell me to write a roadmap for six months, it's going to be wrong. I have 20 years of experience in product. It's going to be wrong, right? Because something will change. Look what happened mm. in the last few months. You know, I have founder friends that were in the middle of funding raises looking to get money. And all of a sudden, the ecosystem changed. 
And now these conversations are different. I'm not saying they won't get mm -hmm. money, but the conversations are different, right? What happens when something changes in the business landscape? What happens when you think if I do X, users will do Y, and suddenly users do C? Well, okay, the users have spoken. So either my proposition wasn't clear enough or the users really want something else. That's a new learning. I'm going to pivot based on that learning. So whatever I said I was going to do after users did Y, I have to change because users did C. Mm -hmm. That's agile. So if you're if you're committed to a roadmap of features, because I, I've looked ahead, I, I mean, sure, I can do features all day long, right? But that discovery work or that agility to say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to see what happens, and then I will know what to do next, right? So a roadmap might be, problems that we need to solve, outcomes that we need to get to. Um, and it could be features that we've thought of sort of loosely in there, but it should not be a commitment to feature after feature that has been pre-decided. You know, it shouldn't be executive A thinks we should do this. Like maybe that's a great idea, but let's investigate. Let's do some discovery. What data can we get? How do we prove this before we commit to it? Oh. Right, and, and how are we willing to say, Oh my gosh, you know, I say all the time, like, I'm happy to be wrong as long as I learn something. You know, you can tell me something's a bad idea. Tell me why. Tell me why it's a bad idea. And then we'll figure out something that's else, you know. So the other piece is, is that ego piece of I did the right thing. This has to be right. I had all the right ideas. I have the solution, right? That, that also leads to, right, let's just do more of the same thing, right? Let's double down and commit to doing that instead of saying, oh, okay, that's not working. We could do something that is else. Wow. I'm happy to learn something. I, I'm happy to be wrong as long as I learn something. That's just so beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's just basically that's what being agile means, I would say. And I think what you're saying... Right. It's a learning, it's mm -hmm. a learning mindset. I think what you're just mindset. saying right now could could make a founder or a product manager or a product lead that they have to follow a process, they have to follow a roadmap, they can put them in such an unease position because I've seen, I've worked with those uh, individuals, not like, you know, they, it's, a, it's a wrong type of personality trait they have. It just, that's how they work. They would like to follow a plan. So what if the plan goes to south? Do what's your backup plan? What's your fallback plan? So for those, if roadmap are meant to be thrown out of the window, or, or let's, let's not say it to that extreme, if roadmap, you cannot rely on your roadmap for long. So how would you try, how would, what would, be your suggestion to them like how should they look at their roadmaps um any tips here yeah there, there, there's a couple of ways and look the reality is that there might be you know a, a ceo or a board or or somebody that that reasonably says right what what mm -hmm. is your plan so but a strategy and and a roadmap are not exactly the same thing. And that, I think that's mm -hmm. another mistake that people make. And a roadmap doesn't have to be features that are committed to. You know, again, right, human psychology, if I commit to this list of features and then I change it, right, then somebody says, what do you mean you changed? You committed to doing this. Now you didn't meet your commitments. That's the fear, right? That's the fear of, you know, I, I have this roadmap and I have to do these things or someone is going to say that to me. So changing the mindset to understand sort of real agility and to say the roadmap is problems that we're going to solve or outcomes mm -hmm. that we're going to get, right? Um, you know, my outcome is, do I need to increase my audience or do I need to increase my engagement with my existing audience? And by the way, sometimes those things are in direct competition, right? There can be an inverse correlation between goals. And that's, that's sort of the other thing 
I think as a product lead that it's really important to understand and to share with the team and for the product lead to have that holistic view that some goals are are sort of mutually in competition and the the real leadership is in balancing those. So for example, if I get in a bunch of new users through you know whatever way through through discounts, through partnerships, through something those are new users that came in because of a good offer. They're likely to be at least initially less engaged. So my engagement numbers will go down. My user numbers will mm-hmm. go up, right? The reverse is also true. If I really focus on my core users to get their engagement up, that's a different thing than getting in new users. And so really looking holistically, what problems are we solving for? You know, what outcomes are we looking for, right? And and it could be a number outcome, right? Like people say, oh, everything drives to revenue. And look, it does, right? Because your investors are going to say, show me the money. But, you know, is it a revenue? Is it some other number? Is it a system that was disrupted? You know, is it did something else change in the ecosystem? But your your goals should be those things. And then you might have hypotheses, right? I think these features might do that. I think this change might do that. I think this go to market might do that. And so you have a collection of potential features or efforts or hypotheses, but it's less about committing to those at specific points in the roadmap and more about committing to meeting outcomes. And then if you've committed to meeting an outcome, then how you get there can change based on what you learn when you do it. But it's a shift in mindset from give me your list of projects You've committed to those. Show me that you did them. But it's really common, right? That thing is really common and people feel that their feet will be held to the fire. And uh, most of the time they're right, that their feet will be held to the fire. And and so this rush to build, you know, I was consulting with a company and someone said to me, you know, she wanted to do sort of like more discovery. And and look, you can get down that <laughs> trap too, right? Like, let me just do discovery forever and not do anything about it. Every Everything's a balance everything's a balance, but the CEO did not understand and and wanted them building things. And after I worked with them, he was able to understand how important Mm -hmm. that discovery process was in order to be building the right things, right? And that, and understood that build trap. So you can change people's mindsets if they're willing, but they have to be willing. They have to have that growth mindset and learning mindset uh, and a little bit less of the ego, you know, I, I must have made the right decision. They have to be willing to say, oh, gotcha, let's do that. Let's Would do this discovery inform strategy or is how do you see the relationship between the discovery and strategy, product strategy? It, it could. I, I have this whole sort of pyramid, product pyramid exercise that I that I put a lot of people through. And I like to use, you know, you talk about storytelling. I like to use a really um, dumb example. And so so the mission might be, right, like why we're doing something. So so the mission is, you know, we're working remote. And what we want is to, we want to get together, right? The mission is we're going to get together to co-collaborate in the same room. And the vision is we're going to sit on the beach in California. We're going to sit on the beach in California. And, and we're going to do our work. So the, the strategy is, how am I getting there? Strategy is how, right? So now I've got a mission and a vision, right? It's, it's to get to California to, you know, in a relaxed, sunny, nice, chill place and, and work in person and co-collaborate. How am I getting there? So a lot of assumptions go into that. We could fly to California. We could drive my car to California. We could rent a car and drive to California. We could take the train to California. We could hitchhike to California, right? How are we getting to California? That, that's the strategy, right? That's the decision that needs to be made. It's not that it can't change, but that's the decision that needs to be made because then all of those features are like, are we buying a ticket? Are we gassing up the car? How are we packing? If I'm flying, I might want to pack very carefully in, in only a carry on, especially now, right? All I keep seeing is airports full of lost luggage. But if I'm driving, I just like throw a bunch of stuff into the car, right? So how I'm packing and 
whether I'm buying a ticket or getting gas. Um, so you can imagine people, right, the feature becomes like the how we're packing and people are arguing over how we're packing. And, and everybody's sure that like, it's fine if we throw a bunch of bags. No, we have to fit in a carry-on only. And and that would have that argument would not happen if we were clear on whether we were driving or Got driving. it. How uh, how should a product lead test different strategies uh, to understand which one would work the best for the to meet the outcomes? So I would say two things. One is look look at sure. the available data, right? And and that's a hard thing to, sometimes to do objective light, right? Because there is that I think we should do this. Um, but the, the real thing is to focus on, mm -hmm. right, I think, not I know. And and so one thing is, let's collect data, right? Sometimes you test and sometimes you make a bet, right? I can collect data on the price of flying versus driving, the time versus flying, of flying versus driving, maybe the environmental impact. Um, you know, does it depend on how many of us there are? It's going to be really hard for yeah. me to drive to California by myself. Yeah. So in that case, I might fly. Right. So what data can you collect to look at what the trade offs are and what the likelihood is of success and how that would work in your particular situation that and that is part of of leadership, mm -hmm. too, I'll say is, um, you know, I, I sometimes can't believe when I say like I have 20 years of experience in product. But, you know, what it means yeah. is that I can pattern match very quickly. Right. OK, I've seen this thing 10 times, eight times it happened this way, two times it happened this way. Why were those two times outliers? What's going to happen this time, right? So you can do that pattern matching and you can sort of play out the chess game too, right? If this, then that, and kind of understand those likelihoods because you've seen it many, 100%. many times before. Um, so I mm -hmm. always say like data informed, right? So there's data, but there's also like, look, you know, we know stuff. There's stuff that we know based on experience. So experience is also, right, a thing. And you pull all of those in. And, and that is what product, right? Product leadership is not about getting into the weeds. Product leadership is that higher level strategic thinking, finding the through lines through tons of different information to put it all together and come up with something reasonable. And then as you start doing the work within that strategy, you see, right, is this working? Is this not working? And being willing to say it's not working, right? Let's not fall prey to the sunk cost fallacy and let's come up with something else, right? Where is the problem, right? Is it in how we're doing it, what we're doing, what we're trying to do? Did we invent this need, right? Whatever, figure out the problem and try something else. Fantastic. Oh, okay. Um... I have one question it's in the back of my mind. You said something in the beginning, and I think it's the challenge of um, younger product leads, design leads, um, to deal with, I don't know if I get the term right, the hippo, the highest, yes. So especially the hippo, like, yeah, you know, um, yeah. for product leads that they want to climb up, aiming for executive roles, like, you know, I, I could imagine your role is essentially managing those hippos, right? That's what you are doing. That's I think that's a very refined skill that comes only with experience. That's the only the only you know uh, that's it. You need experience. Um, you know I don't know what would be the right question to pose here, but how do you handle this delicate conversation with? executives that they're putting like they're investing all their life you know um, savings or they're risking a lot and they're like opponated for good reason how do you handle this all this politics like I, I don't expect you to come up with the recipe but just like if you just spend some time and just like elaborate on your experience and that would be a huge 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 um thank you yeah, you're right that there isn't a recipe. You ha you mm. have a little bit to read the room, um, but I think some of the some of the solutions available are first mm -hmm. of all asking those why questions. Can you engage someone? And and I want to say you do have to go into this legitimately 
willing to to learn and also be wrong, right? My goal in this conversation is not to prove you the hippo wrong. My goal is to understand because, you know, you might be right. Maybe it doesn't sit well with me, but but you have some insights I don't and you're right or maybe you're wrong. So either either answer is okay as long as we get to the right answer. So how do you use that those why questions, right? Mm -hmm. That's, oh, that's such an interesting idea. Why? Tell me more, right? And, and sort of engage in that conversation. See what you can learn. See if that sort of Socratic conversation, where does that go? Do, do they answer sort of their own question and actually change their minds? You know, are they willing to engage in that? You know, what, how do you, how do you sort of, again, lean test these things? So if somebody's very insistent, how do you get some data, right? How do you do like the quickest prototype and test it? Just because somebody has an idea doesn't mean I'm going and like using dev resources and building something. So how do I, how do I prototype this and test it? Um, you know, I had someone say to me, I was, I was at budget travel and I had developed a page and the president said to me, oh, I think this this other layout would work. Like, it was just, you know, random, this other layout would work. I said, okay, we'll test it. Like, what's the big deal? I'm not getting in this argument, right? I'm going to A-B test it. And then if hers works better, that's great. And the other thing is that then if, if you can sort of say, great, that's yeah. such a good idea. I'll look into that yeah. and legit look into it. Collect as much data as you can see what it says. So in the case of, hey, why don't we lay it out this way? I said, sure, do an A-B test, really easy, we'll test it. So then when the test comes back, right. you take all the emotion yeah. and all the personality out of it. And you go back with the data and you're like, oh, look, this yeah. one performed better, doesn't matter whose it was, right? Look, this one performed better, we're gonna go with this one. We're gonna follow the data, this performed better, we'll go with this one. And you try to change the habit of, right, I picked, your, you know, your project or your version, and you change it into being data driven. So how do you how do you have those conversations to to lead a why discussion rather than a position mm -hmm. argument discussion? And then once you understand that, how do you get in minimally get enough data before you put all of your efforts into something to to show whether something might Lisa, work? Or um... not? I would like to take, get your take on this. Imagine that, because the way you okay. uh, elaborate on topics is so beautiful. Imagine that you are in one-on-one -on -one with the CEO of one of the Fortune 500, right? And you're trying to basically, they're asking, okay, Lisa, I heard about, I, I saw you doing a talk in that conference and you were talking about strategy, data, lean testing. Why should I be doing this? Why should I rely on data? Why should I do tests? What, what does it do for my organization? How would you answer this? That, that's a great question. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm going to maybe Please. pick this apart and I wonder if I'm being over literal. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of shocked, right? I would be shocked mm. in this day and age to hear someone say, I don't think people say right out, why do we need data? I, I do think there's, you know, it depends on the organization, right? There's yeah. there's a lot of ego and large organizations, you know, you talk about like a Fortune 500 are just structured very differently. You know, the, the why, right? I do, I have whole presentations on sort of why we should do this pyramid. I have a slide titled, what could possibly go wrong, right? I have a slide that says, because I work with a lot of different people and so, you know, I have these conversations over and over again, and it's it's important to sort of be ready to have them. So I have a slide that says sort of like, you know, mission features roadmap, right? <laughs> and the next slide says, what could possibly go wrong? You know, and there's a list of like five or seven things. I don't have it in front of me, right? But it is that, you know, we're, we're arguing over features. Um, you, you end up listening to the voice of the hippo. So when somebody asks why, right, sort of bring this evidence and it goes back to where we started, which is storytelling, right? Tell the story or what are case studies, you know, that I have? What's an experience that I had where I said, well, you know, we started here and after we did this, we got there. And so between sort of the, like the storytelling and the examples, you know, best practices, 
Um, I, I think, you know, certainly I don't, I don't really work in Fortune 500 mm-hmm. companies, right? I do work with smaller companies, but I think in any environment, yep. people certainly don't want to waste money. And so ultimately positioning it as the smaller size effort we do, the more information we get about whether that piece is working before we go on to the next piece, right? Rather Hmm. than build a huge thing and find out that it didn't work, right? You're making a big bet and like, you might be right. You might be right. You're the CEO. You have a lot of experience. Maybe you're right. But do you want to make that bet or do you want to do it in a way where you can get more information sooner and, and pivot to be better. Fantastic. Very well put. Yeah, exactly. Just like a smaller sized effort. I think that's a really nice way of saying it. Okay. Instead of doing all of this, why don't you do this and see how it, how it feels right? Why don't yeah. you commit to a few days of prototyping? Why don't you build a landing page? Like, you know, just easy. You know, right. it's not 2010 anymore, like 2001 that you started. Well, I think, I think when, when, when was it that you you said like product? Wow, two thousand one. Yeah, two thousand one was when we built this. I know it's shocking. Uh, sort of built this website, and 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 yes, it was very different. Right now, you can right there are so many more tools you can prototype. You know, there was no such thing then as clickable prototypes. Right <sighs> now, we just throw up. Right, we design a wireframe. We can give it to someone that they can click through it, and and I can see where where the stickiness is before before I start building it. You know, either way, I have to prototype it. It's it's not to denigrate anybody else's uh, you know value of their work, but but either way, I have to either way I have to sort of UX and wireframe it, and then I have to pass it off to development. I can I can test it right in that space in between. So we, this is like 48 uh, minutes of golden wisdom. And I want to, um, I think it, I'm, I'm very happy about what we have captured today. And I don't want to, you know, overstretch it. You, know, you see how things go when, when you want to overstretch a good moment. Um, but I would like to pick your yeah. um, brain on the topic of ego. And you know, our audience is young, like, you know, um, they're like, they're junior, mid, senior, early senior. Um, and, you know, as I, I struggle with my ego too. As a designer, when I put out a design, I was very defensive about it to the point that would, you know, I shut down any conversation, right? I, if you were to offer insight, feedback, offer insight basically on how for young, for younger audience, less, ex, less, less experienced audience in the field of design and product, how, what would be your advice or insight on how to deal with one's ego? You know, it's a great question yeah. because we do all have it and it's not all bad. You know, my, my theory of life is, is the blessing and the curse, right? Yeah. You have to, you have to have some ego. You, you have to have some confidence that, that yeah. you can do something and that's okay. But it's interesting that you say that because I work with you now and I don't see that. And, and one of the things I, I think our team has very much enjoyed working with you is, is that collaborative nature. And that nobody has to sort of tiptoe around, right? Overly tiptoe around. Um, but we can say, okay, see where you're going here. And here's where I have concerns. And so, so let's change it. And the reaction is, okay, we'll, we'll figure that out, right? That makes sense. We'll figure that out. So, so getting to that point is that is part of the experience that you were talking about earlier. I think I say, I say all the time, you know, I have two kids and, and you sort of want to gift them your perspective, right? I could just tell you. But, but you can't. And, and so I think it's really hard having, having less experienced folks in those spaces to watch those interactions is, is really, I think, as leaders, the best gift that we can give because it is a natural human reaction. Um, and it, it is also very natural to hew very tightly to theory. Right. So whether it's that agile with a capital A or it's, you know, design theories, UX, right. It should be like this. I know. 
And I'm like, dude, like you took a class and you've been working for like, what do you know? You know what I mean? Like, and, and so it, it's totally understandable. And I think just exposure, you know, part of our job as leaders is not just, oh, let me find the through lines for all this data, but let me be transparent, right? And show people, how did I come to this conclusion? What was that thinking like, right? Show people what is it like to work in an environment where the end result is better. We all learn from each other, right? And, and there's value in saying, here's what I bring. But if someone else has a better idea, A, I've learned and I became better. That's good for me, right? Like that's an, actually a really good outcome for me. If I learn something from someone else and now I'm better and I can take that learning forward, you know, then I'm better. B, the outcome is better. So now we have a product we can be much more proud of because we've gotten to a better outcome because we have multiple opinions on this. And maybe, you know, I see something, this, this is also, right, the value of diversity, that we have different perspectives and someone could see something that the other person cannot. And all of those different viewpoints will make something that's better. And so really, I think just immersing people in that, you can't just tell them, you have to show them, right? They have to be in that space to see that, that ultimately that lifts everybody up. Um, and, and there are, listen, the reality is there are toxic environments where that does not happen. Uh, and, and you may or may not be able to change that, but there are environments where it does happen. And so can you find those environments, right? You know, my advice to, to sort of less experienced yeah. people would be find those environments that have a learning and growth mindset that really allow for, for feedback that makes things better because it's fun, right? It's fun and, it and you build good stuff right and that feels good. <laughs> That's so beautiful. Like, I, I mean, I didn't expect <laughs> this answer, but now I'm looking at it. It's, it's exactly, I think, it might be the key for for younger audience, less experienced audience, less experienced folks, to sort of like that nurturing environment that allow you to you know say, hey, look, our leader is is voluntarily saying, I don't know, I was wrong. Thank you for showing me. I'm learning something. I mean, when I see that, oh wow. That person with 20 years of experience telling me really clearly that I didn't know. Oh, thank you for letting me. Oh, I can do that too. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Modeling. Wow. Okay. That's, right. Um, That's right. Wow. What, what a pick. I think uh, I'm, I'm really happy about this answer. Thank you, Lisa, a lot. Um, uh, thanks again. I know you're such a busy, you know, you're juggling projects and, and uh, this was this was an honor to have this conversation with you. Um, thanks a lot. Um, any last words? No, I think I think we covered a lot of great stuff. So thank you for having me. This has been a lot My of fun. Pleasure. Great conversation. Um, this was it, folks. Um, you are in such a great uh, treat. Um, lots of cool, 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 cool uh, insight. I'm certainly going back and listening to this again. Uh, thanks for being with us. This was our 10th episode. Until next time. Ciao.